Light me up, don't you stop Cause tonight, it's on the line Show me how, you get on down Close my eyes, take me for a ride Hello everybody and welcome back to the Parse Foundation podcast. This is episode 6 and today is a very special one as we are joined by current Livingston captain Marvin Bartley. Marvin, how are you today? I'm very well, mate. I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Uh, I, I'm good, mate. Uh, so it's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, um, no problem. We're also joined by uh, fellow Parse Foundation coach and regular member of the podcast, Coach Ian Philp. So Ian, how are you today, mate? I'm good and I hope everyone else is good, guys. Ah, very, very thoughtful of you. So we'll, we'll just get straight underway then, Marvin. Um, obviously, you've spoken a lot about... You've played for many different teams in your career. Um, you know, I think you started off at Eden, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, as an, like, as an academy player, kind of like a schoolboy. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, how did you find you getting into football? Um, it's a bit of a weird route for me. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a great lover of football. Um, from the, I don't know, a lot of boys that I play with now, but when they could walk, they were, they were into football straight away. Uh, I was probably about 10 before I started to have any real interest in it um, and I got relatively lucky I say lucky um, you know I got you know I went into my my school team uh, year five yeah. in England which was you know nine or ten years of age and my school teacher said oh you know you're not too bad at football um, so <laughs> I kind of went into the school team and then I got sent to almost like a district uh, trial um, and at this stage, I, I was I was playing up front because you know I'd just come into football. I used to have a kick around my mates, but I didn't play for a team. So I was like, right, I want to be a striker. You know, everyone talks about strikers. Um, in my household, <laughs> yeah. my brother was a striker, so I wanted to be like him a little bit. So I went to the trial anyway, and there was too many centre forwards. So they said, right, you know, some of you go in defence for you know the first half of the game, then we'll swap it around. And I went into defence, yeah. and I, I ended up staying there. Um, I think I. I went through, I think, six or seven trials to, to make it into the actual district side. Um, bearing in mind, I wasn't actually, you know, even at a team at this point. Um, I think I joined a team, you know, after like three or four of the rounds of trials. But yeah, so I got through that into into the district team. And then um, that was at the age of 10. And by the age of 11, I was, you know, signed to Redden Academy. Um, so it was kind of like a whirlwind. <laughs> start. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, mate, honestly. It was kind of a whirlwind start for me. Um, as I said, you know, I find that quite interesting, Marvin, because a lot of people now, well, parents now, they kind of worry that their son's not getting snapped up at six, seven years old. Yeah. You know, um, there's this sort of pressure on the young kids to get into academies at such a young age now, whereas you, I think you said 10 years old. Yeah. You know, that's when you got snapped up, and then by 11, you were signed for Reading Academy. So it just goes to show that you don't need to be, you know, at five year old in an academy. Oh, of course. You know, and a lot of the boys who, you know, were, were in that kind of academy at an early age, and as I said to you, by the time they could walk, they were, you know, they were already, parents had pushed them to football teams. A lot of them fell out of yeah. the game. You know, when I look at my team back then, um, my academy team and my district team, I think maybe two or three of us played professionally. Um, one of the other guys was Tom Soares, who played for my district. Um, he came up and oh, yeah. he went on loan to Hibernian, but he played for like Stoke and Palace and and a, and a few other teams. So I think it was only us two that actually went professional. And I, when I say that, I think a, a lot of the other ones fell out of the game by the age of 21. So this pressure, you know, that like you said there, parents put on their kids, it's 
it's really not worth it. As I said, I was a late bloomer. I used to play other sports with it as well. Um, the academy life, if I'm honest, wasn't for me. I was delighted when I got released mm-hmm. at 14 and I went back to Sunday League, um, which is strange, you know, when I tell people that are like, you're in a, an academy, why would you be delighted to, to leave? But it was too structured for me. You know, as I said, I'd gone from, you know, being at these trials to playing with my mates at Sunday League football and then seeing them at school and having a bit of banter about it to, you know, being in an academy yeah. a year later playing against, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal and all these sorts of teams. But I wasn't enjoying it. And, and, and for me, it's, you know, if, if I'm not enjoying something, I, I don't want to do it. I think, I probably stayed in a year longer than I wanted to. And the reason for that was because my my older brother I was speaking about then got released from Crystal Palace and football was his life. Whereas for me, it it wasn't my life. And, you know, I just kind of fallen into it at like nine or ten. You know, he was playing from a lot younger age. You know, he was destined to make it. Um, You know, he was he was better than me. Um, But he he got released at 16 or 17 and, and seeing the heartbreak on him. Uh, made me stay in the academy, you know, a, a year longer than I wanted to, probably. Um, but, you know, as I said, when I got released and went back to Sunday League, it, it was the best thing that happened for me because I began to enjoy football again. And, and you know, it helped me develop into the, the player and the man I am today. Uh, well, you, you mentioned there, Marvin, how you, you played for in Sunday League. And obviously, you've had a different year. You played Sunday League. You played in the upper regions of the Football League in England. You played in the top of Scotland. So you, you've had a, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different managers. Yeah. Um, what would you say kind of separates the, the ones from the ones that like Sunday League compared to people like Eddie Howe, Sean Dyche, Neil Lennon, people you've worked under in your career? Um, opportunity sometimes. Um, you know, yeah. sometimes it is just, just opportunity. Um, I think, obviously, that the higher you go in terms of levels, the more in-depth things are. Um, obviously, you, you, you know, yeah. you're training full-time you know, I think one of my teams I was training once a week, then it went to like twice a week and then when professional it was full time. Um so I think that the sessions are a lot more structured. Um, you know, I think a lot of the non league yeah. stuff you're trying to force, you know, you know, a week's worth of training into two evenings. So they can be a lot tougher. Now, those two sessions can be very, very difficult in terms of um like distance covered and that sort of thing because they're trying to fit, as I said, four days, four training sessions into, you know, two evenings. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know a lot of it is down to opportunity and, and in depth. Don't get me wrong, you know some of the managers you mentioned there are yeah are a different level when it comes to thinking and they're very different managers. You know all three of them, but they're they, you know that when it comes to thinking and putting stuff together, um, you know they they are on a different level. But I've played under a couple of you know non league non league managers rather that you know were, were pretty good. Um, but yeah, I just think it's you know as I said, you yeah. know the kind of evolution of football that. The names you mentioned there are, are really, really good managers. Marvin, seeing going back to the Eddie Howe one, yeah. did you tell Eddie was going to be a superstar manager? Um, did he have a did, a, did he have some, some sort of aura about him, or you know the way he was coaching? Was he was he coaching? Is coaching next to you know the best thing you've ever seen? Or yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of going on to seeing him. Being a superstar, I think, again, I, I, I'm a massive believer in a kind of opportunity thing, but he was fantastic. He was well ahead of his time. Um, in terms of the stuff he used to do um, in coaching, as you said, there on the pitch, you know, how he was as a man manager, um, the analysis side of thing, how in-depth he was on opposition and, and on how we would play, he was well ahead of his time. Um, you know, we had no money at Bournemouth at the start. Um, you know, he, he picked up players yeah. like myself out of non-league and, we went from, you know, having 
you know, minus points to stay in the league to, to promotions. Um, so yeah, you know, he, he he's fantastic and he is the best manager, best all round manager I've worked with. Um, you know, hands down. As as I said, you know, he's fantastic and he's he's evolved with the game. He was never one of those that yeah. just kind of thought right because he was a coach actually when I first went to Bournemouth. We had Kevin Bond who, you know, was Harry Redknapp's assistant at, at many different clubs, including Portsmouth, and then. Kevin went on to manage a couple yeah. of teams himself. So Eddie was a, a young, he'd have been 28, 29, coaching them. Um, you know, then he went down, when Kevin Bond left, Eddie Howe went to manage like the under-11s or 12s of Bournemouth. Um, we had Jimmy Quinn come in, who was a more experienced manager. <laughs> then he left, and then suddenly, you know, New Year's Day, I think it was Eddie Howe got the job. Um, you know, and he's, he's kind of never looked back. But you could tell, you know, he, he had that about him that you always knew he just needed a little bit of luck. And when I say luck, I mean... You know, someone to believe in him and to give him an opportunity yeah. and a fair crack at it and he would take it with both hands because as he said, you know, he was he was well ahead of his time and he was he was absolutely yeah. brilliant. It seemed like all the players it does seem like all the players kind of bought into what he was trying to build at Bournemouth at the time. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we, we we definitely brought into it because you know, it was he shipped things back for us. So, you know, it wasn't like he was trying to come in and reinvent football straight away. You know, we started with almost like a blank canvas. We knew we had the, the minus points or whatever else. Uh, we knew what we needed to do. And he built a team from there. So, we, you know, we played 4-4-2 and, you know, he would want to play almost like little and large up front if we played that way and, you know, what the midfielders wanted to do. And he would tell you each, you know, each section said, defenders, this is what I want you to do. Midfielders do this, strikers do this, then bring you all together. And then you would see how, you know, that the small parts would all work together to make, yeah. you know, bigger clog so to speak we we're all almost like small wheels within that um and you know he put the jigsaw together that way and it was as I said it was brilliant to see because at times you'd be doing drills and he'd be speaking through things and you'd be like I'm not sure this is going to work how's this going to work when he brought in the defenders behind you and then the attackers in front of you it made perfect sense you know <laughs> it, it was honestly it was amazing to watch because as I said at times you'd be like nah Eddie this is not going to work gaffer but in your head you're not saying that to him you'd never say that <laughs> But when he brought it together, mm. you'd be like, oh, okay, <laughs> it does work. That I didn't, you know, didn't question into his face. Would you would you say he almost had, like, because obviously the last time, when you were, I was on the podcast with you a couple of years ago, Marvin, yeah. you said about how when you went to Burnley and Eddie Howe left, he got a bit demoralised because he was almost like he was your leader. Would you yeah. say it was almost a bit like a, he creates that togetherness, like cult mentality almost, just like, okay, this is the guy we follow. Like, if he says something, we're going to do it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I like to say that, you know, it, we were almost robots and, you know, he would put the Eddie Howe chip into you and you would just follow him, you know. And don't get me wrong, there were some players that, that didn't want to follow him and they were quickly, you know, left behind and then they would leave the club. Um, but, you know, you, you couldn't help but want to follow the man because you know, what he was doing made perfect sense. You weren't following him blindly. It wasn't blind faith. You actually believed in what he was doing. Um, and there's a huge yeah. difference between the two. So, yeah, you know, everyone was behind him. And I don't just mean the starting eleven. I mean the squad. You know, yeah. you've got boys who aren't playing and they're speaking well of, you know, a manager and they're learning and they're enjoying it. That tells you all you need to know. You know, when it's, well, it's easy for a starting eleven to be like, oh, this is brilliant. But when you've got boys who are not making the bench at times thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Aye. And, you know, it's a great environment. I mean, you, you say that also about how totally invested he was in, the passion you had for it. You mentioned last year was about him living the job. Um, as in, it was you get some managers that come in. Yeah, you could tell it's the job. The first one, no, the last one's in the door. First one's out. Yeah. Whereas Eddie, you said, was totally commit, and he had that 
sense of love for the game. Do you think that makes a massive difference as a manager like the to get that togetherness in a squad, like how big an impact would you say that had? It's a, it makes a huge impact, you know. It's a huge difference because, you know, as, as Eddie lived the job. You know, he didn't. Yeah. He wasn't just a manager. He he lived it. You know, it was his, it was his whole life. And don't get me wrong, it, that must be tiring because a twenty four hour job. You know, your phone never stops ringing with agents, <laughs> with players, with you no know, chairmen, yeah. with directors, with everything. But when you choose to be a manager, that's what you sign up to. So to do anything yeah. short of yeah. that is doing the job, you know, almost a disservice. So it does make a massive difference. When you see the manager doing that, you know, you don't mind going the extra mile. Because at times as players, listen, you look for excuses not to do the extra thing, not to do the right things. And that's just the, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, when you see a manager there and he's putting in the hours and he's working hard and he's always there before you and he's always leaving after you, you know, you think to yourself, well, if he can put that in, so can I. Because if we yeah. all do this together, then we're, we're definitely going to be successful. When if your manager's the last one in the first one out, you think, well, why am I doing an extra bit here? Why am I trying to improve myself? Which shouldn't be the mentality. Don't get me wrong, it's a totally wrong mentality, but it's the culture it does no. create. And, it's not the standards. Yeah. Setting the standards from the top, really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. It's like, you know, you don't want a manager that says, do as I say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. You want a manager to say, do as I say, and as I do. Now, that makes a huge, yeah. huge difference to the saying, because Aye. you're like, right, he's doing what he wants us to do. You know, let's so let's try and get to those levels. Definitely, yeah. I think it also creates a sense of like you you can believe him more because it's like okay, this isn't just empty words. Like he fully believes what he's doing. Um, yeah. You see, you you've had that from other managers. Like I can imagine, I can imagine Neil Lennon being a very similar type of character. Um, he's he's a similar character, but he's a different, totally different type of manager. Totally different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Neil's more of a a motivator. I think you know he would be the first to to admit he's not a um, you know, a huge tactical manager, and that's not you yeah. know a good or bad thing. It's just you know knowing your strengths. Um, so yeah, you know, Neil's Neil's very very different to to Eddie Howe in, in in terms of that. Um, but you know, he's, he's, the success he's had at well, obviously obviously we know the way it ended at Celtic recently, but the success he had there the first time, and you know, even oh. like winning the cup last season and whatever else. Um, you know, he obviously believes that his way is is, is the right way as well, and. You know, in management, that's that's the key thing. You know, there's not only one way to do it. You know, there's many ways of being successful. Um, and you know, as you said, the two managers you kind of mentioned there do it in very different ways, but they, you know, they've both been successful in their own right. Uh, um, quick question about a story. I mean, uh, when you played for Hibs and the year after we won the Scottish Cup, we had a a replay at home to Hearts in the Scottish Cup. Yeah. And there was a I've heard I was I think it was in the DVD has released for that series about the team talk Neil Lennon gave for that. Can you do you do you remember the one I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can I ask an um, example of what he what he said? Um, so it was it was strange. So I think it was you know a couple of minutes before we were due to go out, and you know everyone's sitting there in their shirts and whatever else, and he was like, "Take your shirts off." So you're sitting there as players thinking, "What?" Like. I've just got ready to go out. Like, you know what I mean? A couple of the boys have done their hair. And then they've got to put the shirts over their hair. And he's like, right, take your shirts off. And he's like, right, lay the shirt on your lap. Um, and he said, like, you know, with the badge and stuff facing up. And he said, look at that badge. And there's something along, along these lines. Look at that badge. Um, you know, what does that badge mean to you? He said, I don't want you to speak out loud, but just, just say within your mind what that badge means to you. And then he gave you like a couple of seconds and he said, right. And then he said, what do you think that badge means to the people that are waiting for you to come out here today? 
within the stadium. And he gave you a couple of seconds to think about that. And then he's like, what, what does that badge mean to the people who, you know, um, I think it was about the parade he mentioned next, who were at the parade when you guys, you know, won the Scottish Cup. So what does it mean to them? And then he was like, right, if you can't do it for those people, if you can't do it for any of those people you've just thought about, you can't do it for the people who love the badge, flip the shirt over. Let me turn the shirt over. And he's like, what does that name on the back mean to not only you, but your family? And he said, think about the people within your family and how they'll feel if you're to go out and, and win this game today or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, close your eyes and think about that. He said, if you can't do it for any of those people that we've spoken about and the people you've visioned there, then look in the mirror before you go out and do it for that person. And there's something along the lines of that. <laughs> and honestly, I was ready to go to war. I was like, right, yeah. here we go. Ma- Let's go to Marvin, war. Marvin, I'll be honest, Marvin, you've got me hyped up to go first like tackle. <laughs> <laughs> That's what well, I mean. They could have 20 players out there. I was ready to go to war. You know. My dad better be careful. Just look at me when I go downstairs. <laughs> I'm getting the shit pads <laughs> No, that, that's along the lines of, of kind of what he said, and it was honestly, it was emotional. It was, it was, it was brilliant. You know, it was the perfect, you know, tonic that uh, we needed to go. I out think that with. gives you a good insight into his sort of style. You know, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's incredible. Like, top motivator, top top motivator. Obviously, sometimes it doesn't work out. If you look at how it ended at Hibs and Celtic, it's, mm-hmm. sometimes when it goes wrong, it goes wrong badly. But when it works, like. Jesus, it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. But, you know, all managers, you know, it's very, very few managers, uh, you know, go through their career out being sacked. So, you know, or asked to leave or mutual termination or whatever. Oh, so, um, uh, you know, it's a tough job. I mean, all, all managerial roles, either you either get sacked or you get offered a new job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's usually one of the two. Yeah, exactly. Um, that. So you've... You've talked a lot about go- you've got a coach in Newell Livingston, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, that's playing role as well. Yeah, uh, is it the the first team or is it the reserves? There was the manager of the reserves, yeah. So, um, ah. you know, I, I helped coach them last season, then took over uh, this season, and I do like from time to time I do some individual work with a couple of the younger boys, um, the youngest boys in our squad. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just a variety of things really. Ah, have you been enjoying that? Yeah, yeah, uh, massively. You know, I've always had a a keen eye to almost what was next kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a student of the game, so I love yeah. football. So, you know, I've always got to coach, and probably since the age of like 24, 25, when you know, I never few wise words from Eddie Howe when he said, you know, always think about what, what you want to do next because obviously he got injured early. Um, so yeah. you know, ever since that conversation, I think you know, first six months of the year after him saying that, I was like, oh, whatever, I'm still young. No, but he's like, oh, your career will go past you, like blink of an eye, which which it has. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm lucky enough to have taken on on that advice, and ever since then. So, all right, so Marvin, you you cut there. So just you're talking about your roles at Livingston. You can just can you tell us a bit more yeah, about that. So, yeah. So um, you know, when I when I made the move across from Hibs, um, you know, I wanted to go into a, a role that obviously you know predominantly playing but I also had one eye on, on the future so I wanted to start you know almost coaching and mentoring and, and that sort of thing of, of younger players so I when I first came in I was I was helping to coach the reserves and as I said I did you know a couple of one-on-one sessions um you know one or two a week if the young boys wanted to do them um you know after training just to work on various different things and then this year I took over the manager role of the reserve team and you know, kind of carried on, you know, yeah. working with 
a couple of the young boys as well um, after training. Yeah. So what's your, what do you say your ideal like, philosophy as a coach? And I believe, am I correct in saying that you've said in interviews before, your goal as a coach or as a manager is to be the, the first black manager. Yeah, so that, that, that's, that's my aim. Um, you know, if, if people say, yeah, aim, aim, aim for the stars and anything short of it, then, you know, you've done all right if I get, you know, halfway, halfway to that. But my philosophy is, is to win. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about philosophies and wanting to play this way or play that way or whatever else. My philosophy is to win games. And if you win games, you, you win championships. If you, you know, or you win cups or, or whatever else, you win silverware. So first and foremost, I want to win. Um, you know, you look people, I find that quite interesting as yeah. well, Marvin. Just being a fellow coach, um, <laughs> you know how you were saying that your aim yeah. is to win games. Would you would you sacrifice a way of a style, if you like, of playing to win? That yeah, game? Um, I I would do. In short term, I definitely would do. Long term, I believe in myself <laughs> enough that I can change. Say, for instance, I went into a team halfway through a season. You know, and, and I've got a certain style that, mm-hmm. that I want to play. You know, I might not have the players able yeah. to do that. So what is important is I work with what I do have. So whatever's going to give us the best possible opportunity to win games between then and the end of the season, that's the way I'm going to go about things. Meanwhile, whilst that is going on, okay. I will be trying to change things slightly and slowly but surely to the way I do want to play in the long term. As I said, short term, it's about winning games. And obviously, you know, you get to the summer and you can start to begin to recruit players and and whatever else you can start to it's about evolution is it? it's not about ripping things up and, and completely starting again especially if you're winning it's about improving upon that yeah it's about working what yeah you've, what exactly you've got. that yeah. so you know that that's kind of my way at, of thinking about it. if i go into you know I, i'm lucky enough to get a job and it's in the summer and they've got two players and then you can go and recruit then obviously that's slightly different because then you can start to implement what you want to do straight away but I'm a great believer. It's not just about what happens on the pitch. It's a great believer of the environment off of it. Um, you know, and I'm, a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, there's two key words for me: accountability and responsibility. And that's not only from players. That's from from me as from a manager or a coach. But if I am a manager, then me, my coaching staff, and my strength and conditioning people, um, you know, the physios, because in order for a football club to do well and to keep evolving, everyone has to be pulling in the same direction. And in order for people to pull in the right direction, you have to stimulate them mentally as well. So there's no good, you know, me only yeah. caring about what's going on on the pitch and these 11 players. I have to worry about the rest of my squad. I also want my physio department to be the best it can possibly be within that league. You know, I know there's budgets and you've got limitations, but be as professional. And yeah. the aim for you guys as a physio department is to be as best you possibly can. And I'm governed by you when it comes to injuries, when it comes to you know, player rehab, I'm governed by you. I know there's going to be at times where your star player is injured and you want them back quicker than they should be, but I'll always go with what the physio says. And the reason for that is because they're then accountable if that player breaks down, you know, and, and that, that's the way I would, I would yeah. manage. I think it's about managing people as well as, you know, uh, everything else. And as I said, you know, I'd want every department to be striving to be the best they possibly can be within that league. And at the end of each season, like, where do you think you rate yourself within the league table? And if all of us stay first, or all of them stay first, and that gives me the best opportunity to get, you know, top of the league with the players out there on the pitch. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, can't disagree with any of that. <laughs> uh, you, you also mentioned earlier about being a, yeah. a student of the game. Uh, 
Am I correct to say you were doing a, is it a football coaching yes. course at Edinburgh Napier? Yes, so I did that last year. Um, it was, it was fantastic. Um, you know, as I said, you know, I, I want to be successful. I plan on being successful. I think I will be successful. But in order to do those things, I need to also learn about different departments of football. You know, if, I, if I'm totally honest, being a manager, yeah. it probably wasn't you know, that, that course although it's like applied football management, it's more about being a director of football and learn about all the other departments, so all the things that happen off the pitch. But, you know, now I do know the things that I do know. I can go to, say, the media department and say, why haven't we tried to do this? When you're looking at content and trying to get, you know, more people involved with the yeah. club and following the club and whatever else, why haven't we looked at this? And they might be like, well, what do you know about it? But I do know about it because I've gone on a course that allowed me to learn about that. You know what I mean? And then when I have, you know, meetings with my right. academy director. Why haven't we tried this within the academy? It just gives me more substance for what I'm saying. I'm not just, right. you know, a hothead who's just thinking of these things no. off the cuff. I've gone into a course that allowed me to learn about these things that happen off the pitch and, and the growth of a football club and all these other things. So when I am going into meetings with directors and, yeah. you know, you have to manage up and you have to manage down, you know, the language you use, the, the, the ideas, how you put them across. And, and I, I understand that stuff a lot more now. So, that's the reason I went on the course. And, and if I'm honest, the course was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, I would, you know, encourage anybody who can get on that course to definitely do it because Stevie Robinson does a, a, a fantastic job on there. Right. Right. Well, there's a, there's a football coaching course at Napier that I've, I've recently got an offer for, which is, yeah, I'm going to ask about. But, uh, uh, thank you. But uh, you you need to know what you're talking about, especially when, when you were saying, as a man, when you, Go into manager a managerial role. If you want to go in and change mm-hmm. the culture of a club, and um, you were speaking then about the media department. And obviously, social media now there's it can be a big role in how you create a culture for a club. Yeah. So many people are on it. Like if the media content's good for a club, they can really create a bit more of a bond between the fans and that. Do you think? Um, do you think how important do you think social media is now, especially during the yeah, COVID times, um, for keeping a good relationship well, with the fans in the key. club? You know, and, and, and I sit here and talk about social media content and wanting to do this, that and the other via social media. But this is a lot easier to do if things are going well, isn't it? You know, if things are going oh, all up the content being out there, but if things start to go badly and the pressure's on you and you're putting stuff out and, you know, your fans are abusing underneath it or whatever, saying get out, you know, getting sacked. So, <laughs> listen, in an ideal world, I think the um, content is very, very important. I think, you know, and stuff behind the scenes at you know at your football club, um, the club that you love, the club that the fans love. Not not giving them too much away where teams can start scouting and, and stealing ideas and knowing what you're going to do, but just no. giving enough so you know that like I said, there is that bond between players and and uh, and, and the fans, um, and also you know the coaches and the fans to see what's really going on. So I think it's very very important, and like I said, more so important now during COVID times. But I think even you know when we go back to normal, I think it's, it's something. That's important. I think Josh mentioned the, you know, the impact that social media is having on the game just now as well. I think because fans can't get into the games mm-hmm. or the stadiums, they're venting that frustration oh, that they have on Twitter and all yeah. different platforms. How do you deal with that as a um, player, Marvin? I'm, I'm very thick-skinned as a player. Um, you know, I'm, as you can probably tell, my mentality is that, you know, I know what I'm trying to do and I won't always be able to do that um, but that won't be for a lack of trying as long as I can wake up every morning and knowing that Marvin Bartley's given 100% whether it be training or matches or whatever then I'm, I'm cool with that 
social media for me is a platform that I use to my advantage in terms of I put out there what I want to put out there. Um, Some people will agree with it. Some people will disagree with it. But I'm also a man that's very open to other people's opinions. You know, I'm I'm not always right. Um, You know, so I might put something out there or someone might say you were terrible today or you did this today or, you know, from a manager that your team was shocking today. And to be fair, as a manager, I would never, ever reply. And I probably wouldn't have, you know, I probably wouldn't even be in control of my own social media if I got to that point. But as a player, sometimes I interact with people. Yeah. You know, I had a I had a fan that messaged me the other day okay. um, on Instagram, I think it was. And we had lost the cup final when he was a supporter of another club. And he made the comment that, oh, well, I'm glad you lot lost because when you do me- media work, you always talk down on my club. And I, I went back to him and I was like, I don't talk down on your club. I said, I'll just give an honest opinion. Um, I said, you know, but if you can say to me, Marvin, I think when you said this, you was talking down on my club, then we can have a, a discussion about it. And lo and behold, he was like, no, no, you know, yeah. I'm just angry with the way things are going at the moment. So his anger wasn't directed at me. And when I asked him for substance to what he was saying, he didn't have any. And we ended up having a good conversation and said, listen, like, take it easy. You know, good luck for next season when it comes or, or whatever else. Good luck for the rest yeah. of the season. That's fine. So, you know, as I said, whenever I say something, whenever I give an opinion on something, um, whether it be on social media or whatever, about coaching or playing, I have a reason for that. So you might not agree with my reason, but I will have a reason for it. I don't just give, you know, throwaway comments for the sake of it. Um, so I think that helps me a lot with social media. I mean, you're, you're an mm-hmm. experienced pro. Um, you know, you've yeah. been around the blocks. You know how to deal with these kind of things. You know, you've got players that are coming through at 18, 19 that are getting this same sort of yeah. vile abuse. That's horrible. Are the clubs, do you think the clubs are doing enough to, if, to help if, with that? If I'm honest, if, if, I'm, if I'm a manager of a football club, um, I wouldn't want my players on social media talking about football ever. Um, there's nothing, you know, okay. if you can look through through my tweets, hopefully there's none out there from, from when I was younger, but the, the older fans are brilliant today, <laughs> like blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I don't, especially in modern day society when people just jump in on stuff because you tweet that one week and you lose the next following week, you don't say anything, you know, it's sort of kind of like, well, well you're just like a fair weather, you know, tweeter or, you know, post or whatever. And, and there's nothing wrong right. with that. But I'm saying in modern day society, people are just going to jump on you. Like you said, some of the abuse is absolutely vile. So I'll be like to my players, listen, have your private social media accounts. If you want to have a public one as well, but don't be invested in it. You know, I think too many players nowadays or too many people in society, social media is life. Social media isn't real. You know, I could post something on my social media no. now showing off about something and be sitting at home and, and not really feeling that way. So, you know, other people looking at it and, yeah, yeah the of course, it portrays whatever you want it? it to be. It portrays the perfect life, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think well, I think with social media, there's, first off, it's mm-hmm. very reactionary. So if you see any team tweets about yeah. seeing a goal, the replies are, you look at it and people... They see a name on the screen, they yeah, don't yeah, see it yeah. as a person, so they'll go, especially professional football. You see the amount of yeah. abuse they get and like DMs or comments and that. But I think when when the people get called out on it, they very normally backtrack. And I think it's then it's tough because people don't see some players as like people, they see them as just like names on screen or players or oh, this mm-hmm. thing plays for my club. So they'll go and they'll, yeah, they'll players they'll, are they'll, human beings. Aye, they'll DM a person saying, Oh, you're you're this and that, yeah, once we can't repeat on the podcast, and they'll. They'll say that, but then when the player responds, they'll kind of go, oh, Christ, okay, wait a second, this, this person's a human, and they'll take it back. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think I'm, I, stay away, I stay away from social media quite a bit, actually. Like, I use Twitter yeah. for now just for goal updates for, for the club um, and for just seeing what my mates are doing. But apart from that, like, I don't really go scrolling through anything because do you see the amount of reaction and stuff of people just saying the first thing that comes to mind and tweeting it because of oh, social media, no one will hold me accountable. I think more does need to be done to hold people accountable. Yeah, like, like you said media. there, like, up perfectly in terms of when people you know write stuff on social media it's just a profile they're writing it to i don't think about the person behind the profile exactly. but if they saw that person in the street straight after the game they wouldn't say those things you know they, they, they wouldn't say it and and, and that's yeah, why okay. you know I, I would say to players is don't take those things to heart you know a lot as i said a lot of times i'll post stuff and i won't even read the comments on it because i'm posting what i want to post at times i'll go for it and, you know, if someone's got a, a half-decent debate, oh. then then I'll have that with them. Because I think it is also important that there are some good people out there, or the majority of the people out there are good. Um, so, you know, that platform yeah. does allow them to be in contact and a lot closer contact with, with players, if you're talking about football, than it did like 15, 20 years ago. So I think, you know, out of respect for those people, I do try and have kind of like honest debates with them. And, and sometimes it's from rival clubs, who, you know, fans who hate me, but I still talk football yeah. with you all day. As I said, because a lot of the things I say and, and and try and implement are things that I believe in, so I have a you know I can back the argument up. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, just exactly. Fans, yeah. I yeah. I, I see on the see on the talk of fans, guys, Marvin, are you missing fans within the? Yeah, within yeah, the it makes a huge difference. You know, I've spoken on this a couple of times. I I I, I, I would even take people booing me right now. You know, give me a, a full stadium of people booing me and telling me I'm rubbish. Like, just yeah, give me anything. <laughs> give me anything, mate, to create an atmosphere. You're missing them massively, massively. Yeah, um, just quickly go back to social media, Marvin. I might there was something you tweeted a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Uh, it just comes to my head now. It's like a guy shooting an arrow into something, and when you click the video, there's inappropriate <laughs> noise bleeding over it, which you can't repeat. I was in the room with my dad. And <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. You, you, you me a See, that's the content I'm on social media for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking now, I've got the opportunity to pick that movie. Apologies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so I took uh, the ability to deal with fans, and you need some pretty big characters to excel in that um, in that environment. Who would you say are some of the biggest characters you've worked alongside or played with? Because I know, especially at I know from your time at Hibs, people like Jason Cummins or Martin Boyle, John McGinn. What a, how big a difference do you think it makes being a big character on the pitch? Because obviously you yourself, you're quite a big in, character. In terms of still, you're saying still dealing with social media or just like in terms of helping you as a footballer? Uh, right. Just okay. you as a footballer, yeah. And a bit yeah. Um, listen, it, being a big character is fantastic first and foremost for, for the dressing room. But if you've got, you know, 25 big characters in the dressing room, it's not going to work. So it's all about it's all about that balance, no. you know. So everyone within within let's talking about hips, for instance, everyone played their role within that dressing room. You know, you you had the big characters, you had the jokers, you had the serious guys. Um, you know, so we had a very very good blend of people. Um, and I I think you know not enough credit is given to to clubs when they do manage to create a dressing room like that because I've been in dressing rooms where it's gone the other way and it's been completely wrong. So. Yeah, big characters are absolutely fantastic. You know, they, they make the, the bad days better and they make the good days better as well. But as I said, you know, everyone plays their role within that. So the dynamics of the dressing rooms are, have been brilliant. You know, the time I spent at Hibs, the dynamics were absolutely fantastic and we always managed to get it just right. Um, but yeah, it helps, it helps you as a player, um, you know, especially, you know, when things are going well. But also if you're a big character and things aren't going well, 
you kind of they carry on in the same vein, and you know they'll come back to good form. They don't; they're not shrinking violets, so you know it will definitely help them as footballers. Um, would you agree, Marvin, as well that to be a big character, it's not all about just shouting in the in the changing rooms and things like that and geeing up your your teammates. It could be just something as making yeah, a big tackle. Yeah, of course it is. You know, it's oh, not, yeah, like you said, it's not just about being in there and giving the big one when when you're off the pitch. It's about going on the pitch and doing something. It could be a big tackle. It could be. It could be something as simple as going and pressing somebody, you know, just, just setting the tempo of, of a press. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be talking on the pitch, you know, obviously scoring goals that is the best way to, to, to do it. Um, but yeah, it could yeah. be something as simple as that. And I, I think that's what in modern football, like some of the stuff that, you know, that younger players are, are forgetting is, you know, you can go and do something massive and, and be a big character or be known as a big character by, by doing just the simple things well. Um, you know, not not everyone's going to be, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, or for the, for the younger listeners, like a Neymar or something. No. Um, so, you know, you, you all play your your own role within within football. Um, but as I said, it's all about doing the basic things really well. Um, I uh, exactly. Um, one character who was very big that we talked about before on podcast is the the Latinorian chairman, Marvin. <laughs> is there any stories you could tell me about him that? Yeah, um, <laughs> listen, first and foremost, you know, I don't know if any late Orient fans will listen to this. The chairman got a lot harder time than he deserved. And I'll say that from somebody that was in it. You know, I've seen a lot of players come out now and as you're talking about social media, tweeting this, that and the other. When they were in that change room, they were toxic, absolutely toxic. And I won't go and name them because they're viewed as like yeah. as, as gods by some of the late Orient fans, so I allow that to carry on. But just just so they do know, some of those players that you 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 lord up now and, <laughs> and treat as gods. If I was the manager, I wouldn't have them anywhere near my dressing room. But anyway, yeah. So the, the, the late Orient chairman, listen, he invested a lot of money, an awful lot of money, um, and he didn't yeah. get the the results that he wanted or expected because, as you know, football isn't played on paper. Um, so I remember one day we were playing a game and we had Andrea De Senna, a left back who had played at Liverpool. Um, Sunderland, he played for Italy. I think he was in the Italian squad when they won the World Cup or the European Champions, something like that. But anyway, he played at a really high level. Yeah, yeah. a big huge you. name. So he play, he's a left back. Um, at this point, I think he's on 60,000, 70,000 euros a week in League One. So the chairman comes down and says, Jeez. at half time, we're losing the game 1 0. And he's like, right, put him up front. And, you know, he's got broken English. <laughs> and we're looking around. I'm like, who's pointing at? And he's pointing at the centre. Put him up front. I pay him 16,000 or 17,000 euros a week. He must be able to score in this league. This league is rubbish. So we're all sitting there like we're, we're trying our panning and he came down and said, you know, that the league's rubbish and put a left back up front. And Andrea, he was a great guy. You know, you would never known that he's played at the level he's played at because he came to late in Orient. He trained his heart out every day. You know, he was brilliant on the pitch. Um, but the manager, anyway, didn't listen to him, didn't put him up front. Um, we went on to win the game 2-1, so everyone's, everyone's rosy, everyone's buzzing. Yeah, yeah exactly. everyone's buzzing, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the manager's stuck to his guns and we've won the game. And then next thing, the manager's been sacked. You don't listen to me, you are sacked. Do not come back. So we're like, what? <laughs> I promise you, we just you won the game. Like, You're sacking the manager. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? So, yeah, that was just one of many stories. But uh, if, if I'm honest, he invested so much money. You know, some of the stuff he came in and he said to the first manager, who was Russell yeah. Slade, right, here's a blank piece of paper. You tell me what players you want. I'll go and get them for you. You know, so he, he was putting his money where his mouth was, by the way. And he was shortchanged. And he, you know, looking back, people were ripping him off left, right and centre. He put too much trust within people. Um, 
So, you know, some mm, people will say, oh, he's the worst thing to happen to Leighton Orient. No, the people who abused the situation were the worst thing to happen. And that wasn't only players. Was there not... Was there not... Um, I might... Again, last... Going back to the podcast a couple of years ago, we talked about... I don't know what if it was at Burnley or if it was at Leighton Orient, but there was a player who had been at the team for a while. And whenever... The following training session, he was yeah, just that was Yeah, that was at Burnley. Like, mid <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, if you if you're a manager or like a coach, obviously as a player, you, there's not you know, much you can do in that situation. If you if if you're in the role that I think mm-hmm. it was Eddie Howe was at that time, what would you do in that situation? Like if a player's just being totally he, disruptive, he would no longer or she, if I'm managing the women's team, would no longer be part of the squad. So I'll go to the board and I'll say I don't want this person in. Um, you know, pay them their wages, obviously because we're contracted to do so, but yeah. I don't want them within the group. Um, so it wouldn't be a case of, you know, you must come and train at 2pm by yourself or 4pm by yourself, yeah. but you stay at home. Um, and, you know, what some players would be like, nah. oh, yeah, that's perfect. You know, that's what I wanted anyway, for a week or two weeks. Best yeah, but then, then after a while, I'd be like, wow, you know, I've just sort myself out here. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting at home. My career is like basically dwindling away. But you need, you need a, a, a chairperson who's going to back you. You need directors who are going to back you, a director of football, and say, do you know what, you are right. Rather than saying, oh, let's find a happy medium. Because that's one thing, you know, when a manager says no. they want to do something, you have to believe in them enough to, to, to do that. Um, so in that situation, yeah. that's what would have happened. That player would have never trained with the, with the squad again until they came back and apologised. And as I said, that might have taken a week, that might have taken a month, it might never have happened. But that's the risk I, was willing, I would have been willing to take. Guys, we've mentioned a lot of uh, English clubs there. Marvin, could you just give us a sort of insight into the difference between... Scottish football and English um, football. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in, listen, I played in the Championship in, in England. I didn't get to play in the Premier League, unfortunately. Um, so comparing that to the Premier League up here, you get punished a lot more for your mistakes. I'll, I'll say that. You know, obviously the budgets are bigger. Uh, okay. A majority of the clubs, obviously, taking Celtic and Rangers kind of out of it. Um, so, so you get punished for your mistakes a, a lot more. Um, it's a lot more, I would say, structured in the way teams are playing. Not all teams are going to be great, but you can tell what every team is trying to do. Yeah. You know, they've all got a plan of, of what they're trying to do and, you know, how they're trying to go about it. And just at times, you know, you're beaten by the better teams, so you accept that. Um, Scottish football is a lot more, you know, the fans are, are definitely a lot more passionate. It's a lot more physical. It's faster. Um, okay. So, you know, they, they both have kind of their pros and cons when you put them up against each other. Um, you know, one thing that, do you mean it's faster because, sorry, do you mean it's maybe faster because it's maybe smaller pitches, so you've got less yeah, time and less space? Um, yeah, that, that may be the reason. Um, I just think it, just in terms of just how people go about their business, if I'm honest with you, it's more workmanlike, you know, so it is a bit quicker. Because you look at, okay. you know, if you look at the Liga, for instance, they have huge pitches and, and the game's like really slow, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean, or the Italian football. But I think it's just like, you know, the, the Scottish mentality. Um you know, grafters, you know, everyone's a grafter, everyone's willing to put that kind of graft in, or a high percentage of players are, so that makes the game faster for me, and, I, and it annoys me when people down the road talk about this, the difference in standard, and they've never kicked a ball in their life within either country at any great level, um, so that's a, you know, that's an argument for a different day, but I think Jamie O'Hara's right. Yeah, but it, you, you have to also understand, Jamie O'Hara's doing that for talk sport. You know, I think Jamie O'Hara said that Dembele wasn't, yeah. wasn't a good player. He wasn't very good when he was at Fulham. I think Dembele's now Atletico Madrid. You know, so when you've got people talking, uh. you know, about players and they go on to play at a level 
higher than Jamie O'Hara could have ever wished for. You know, then you have to think he's just doing it to be yeah, exactly. to be that guy that's you know, because you know, talk sport listeners are gonna moan about it. It's, it's clickbait, hey. you know, gets him on there another week, gets him paid. So you just exactly. have to take it from the all it is is the the talk, stuff like that is just like bad publicity. Oh, of course it is. Publicity. And for radio show, but bad publicity is probably even better than good publicity because people are moaning about it. A lot more people are more likely to comment underneath moaning than they are to say, "Oh, well done," you know. And that's that's social media. That's the world we live in. Yeah. yeah well, it's obviously working because we. Yeah, yeah. We're actually talking about it. Exactly. Now, if he like... said that like, Scottish football, you know, doesn't get the respect it deserves, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But when people say bad things, you know, everyone jumps on it. Um. So yeah, listen, take that with a pinch of salt. And you know, it, as you know, Jamie O'Hara sometimes I've heard him speak about a few managers as well. Managing isn't easy, as he found at Villa Ricky. You know, he managed it a non-league team in England with a huge budget and then yeah. getting fired. So, you know, it is what it is. No, to anybody listening, <laughs> yeah. listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Just keep, keep repeating this one or any other episodes. <laughs> Just uh, that that's kinda of life motto is never listen to talk sport. Um actually, Marvin, you you mentioned obviously Scottish football fans being very passionate, which I totally agree on. I think the the noise and the atmospheres in Scottish football is near on unparalleled. Um what would you say has been your one your best football and day or some of your best football and moments? Now I can yeah, probably one that's yeah. Like that, but... um, so we'll, we'll, yeah. obviously, you know, there's the whole Scottish Cup story that people have probably told like a million and one times. Uh, is yeah. you know that can never be rivaled. You know, the, the, the David Gray scoring the header, and you know, obviously the scenes that happened after, you know, was wasn't great. But that actual feeling of the final whistle going, uh, fantastic. The parade the next day can never be rivaled. You know, that can never ever be rivaled. So yeah. that there is just breathtaking. A... And it's you know it's something that's gone. Has there been any other? Has there been any other? Yeah. that's the, the main one. I mean the, the parade you mentioned, mm-hmm. the picture. I've I've got on my phone or something where you're leaning over the bus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah a, a fantastic picture. Obviously, as, as a Hibs fan, I'm getting lucky goosebumps yeah. talking about it now. But has there been any more? Moments that maybe aren't as obvious that you just but loved. Sunshine a, on Leaf after we, I think it was it would have been the replay game. Well, also when Simon Murray, I can't remember if it was when Simon Murray scored the goal and we won one nil. Oh yeah. Or it, yeah. One nil. Or it was yeah. the replay. Fun, fun fact about that game. Yeah. Fun fact about that game because I mean I think Stokes got injured and in we it was set up to the yeah. final against Celtic, and we were sitting there and my, my dad was saying. About he was, he was the whole rolled up. He was saying, "Oh, this, this is the Simon Murray derby. I've got yeah. a feeling. I've got a feeling." And I was like, oh, "I think I can't can, can your jets." And then yeah. And that's the thing. Simon <laughs> had been written off. Never seen my dad. Simon had period. been written off. You know, and that 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 that's something that you know. You talk about people talk about resilience and stuff in football. The resilience he showed during that time when you know he knew that his time was probably up. You know, to go and do that in a derby was was fantastic, yeah. and I think you could tell by the celebrations the the excitement from the boys, not only because it was a derby goal, but somebody who, you know, had, had worked so hard to be in that position to do that. Um, yeah, and then after, you know, the sunshine and leaf after that game is, uh, you know, as fans, you know, you talk about it and you love it and you think, wow, it's amazing. And honestly, being a player out there and hearing that is is, is crazy. It's absolutely, honestly, I, I couldn't even put into, I couldn't even begin to put it into words, genuinely. Um <laughs> 
it's, 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 anyone can describe it as mental as the young. <laughs> Yeah, the Bournemouth women got promoted uh, way at Burton Albion. Um, and as I said, you know, we were a rural oh, squad yeah. put together from, you know, a lot of non-league boys you know, a few experienced boys who had travelled and, you know, Eddie Howard and Earth, some, some gems, so to speak, who had gone on to, have, you know, do better things in their careers. But, you know, just, just achieving that when we were never ever meant to achieve it was, was, was fantastic. And I learned so much from, huh. from him as a man, as a coach, as a manager, that some things that I would take on going forward that, you know, just building that togetherness is, is the huh. most important thing. And, Seeing it now at Livingston, you know, to get to a cup final and to, to hopefully finish in the top six when, you know, our budget's probably 11th or 12th in the league. It's just that togetherness that, you know, sometimes is more Definitely. important than ability because, you know, as I say, when talent doesn't work uh, hard, then it's basically a waste of time. I mean, Livingston, he's having been fantastic this season for, to get in the cup final, then, especially losing yeah. someone like Lyndon Dykes, who was so good for his last season, to almost not seen faced by that and to come and be a top six team and your budget is so much smaller than some of the clubs not in that also in the top six is a yeah. fantastic job I mean I might do that for the school tips uh, <laughs> just before the new year so I they're doing a very good job at, over there is there any um, is there any advice you got given from Eddie Howe like manager to player advice that you maybe pass on to kids looking to get into the game at a younger age because obviously that's what we're yeah. at the community club in Dunfermline lots of clubs. Is there any advice you could give to any, um, any of them listening? Not, not, not really from Eddie Howe, but probably things I've, I've picked up along the way and I'm kind of put my own spin on. Like, you know, it's it's the hundred percent thing, and and what I mean by that, and being the best version of yourself is never compare yourself to 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 another player. You know, especially younger players because people develop at all yeah. different times. You know, I was never the best, you know, player in my age group at any age, but I've gone on to make the most professional. You know, appearances out of anyone that, that I played with at younger ages. So it's not, it's, you know, it's about being the best yeah. version of yourself every day. You know, I go into training now, still at the age of 34, want to be the best version that my Bartley can be. Can I improve slightly on what I did, you know, in the last training session? And I go into a match, can I slightly improve on something that I did in the last match? So it's all about, you know, competing against yourself, never against anybody else. Um, you know, it's about, as I said, you know, putting 100% effort in at all times. You're not always going to play well, but, you know, one thing that we can all do consistently is put in 100% effort. And we know if we have or we haven't, you know, we know, we know within ourselves. So that's yeah. another, you know, really important bit of advice, I think, you know, for younger players and, and enjoy it. You know, if you're not enjoying it, then you're yeah. never going to get the best out of yourself. So, you know, you really ha- have to enjoy what you're doing um, and just trust the process. That's, that's another key one, trust the process. Because as I said, you know, I came into the professional game at 19, I think it was, or 20. Um, and a lot of people thought that that wouldn't happen. I was released by an amateur team at, at, at 18, told I wasn't good enough to make it. And then, you know, I'm going to have the career that I have had and make the appearances that I have had. So, you know, that, that self-belief, that, that always knowing that the value of yourself, never let somebody's opinion, because there's so many managers out there that will be like, I don't like him, I don't like her, she's not a good player, he's not a good player. But then you find the one manager says that, you know, you are a good player. Yeah. And I found that manager, and he was lucky enough for me in the Football League. 
you know, and when I say amateur days, I'm talking about, you know, levels yeah. lower than the lower yeah. league. So, you know, if I'd have listened to that coach who said I wasn't good enough, then, you know, I wouldn't be a professional footballer today. So, you know, always believe in yourself, always believe in, you know, you always have something to, to add to a team and, you know, you'll get to where you deserve to be. Excellently uh, put. Um, so, Marvin, usually we usually end off the podcast with a few minutes of uh, yeah. a food chat. If you're, if you're down to say for that, <laughs> okay. So, uh, so if there's if there's one thing I love, it's um, yeah. it's an Andros, right? I've been having this debate with a couple of people recently because they disagree with my Andros order. So I thought, what better person to ask than a professional footballer? Someone coming on, someone someone who scored <laughs> an overhead kick at Dine Castle, Marvin. <laughs> Mar- Marvin what is your Nando's? Uh, Nando's is open fully, so I would have a Fino Pitta, yeah, um, which is decent. It's got like, oh, pineapple, nice. the chili jam, obviously, you know, butterfly chicken breast or whatever else it's got in it. Uh, so Fino Pitta, uh, this, this, this is the part that could get me in trouble. My career is coming towards an end, so it's fine. I get double chips, um, which, which is a problem, um, as you can imagine. Pet, yeah, very sorted chips, yeah, but then I get like three or four Peronases as well. Got to be. So, yeah, so it's, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not really a calorie counter as you can as you can imagine by this disorder. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my main obviously with a with a drink. I like the um, the halloumi sticks as well with the chili jam and stuff. Oh, they're good. I tried them. Yeah, the first time they're on good. Friday. They're, they're good. I'm like... a sucker for them as well. So yeah. it's not not standing too healthy, is it? But that's 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 kind of my cheat meal. <laughs> Couple mm. questions as well, quickly, because um, this has been controversial <laughs> podcast topics, right? Do you think a Kit Kat is a biscuit or a chocolate? Oh, oh a chocolate I'm going with. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm going. I'm going with a chocolate. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, you're going to make one man stay. I tell you that. Coach Gary, who's usually on the podcast as well, he's we've having this debate since the first episode. Parents have been chiming in, and we we finally come to the conclusion. No, I'm going with. Do you know why I'm going with a chocolate? Because this is going to sound really weird. Um, The wrapping of it. So whatever whatever biscuit is wrapped like that, give me one. So it's it's, 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 that's that for me. It's yeah, it's it's a chocolate. Sorry, guys. And girls, <laughs> and, 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 and second question pineapple. Oh, and pizza, yes wow, I'm so buzzing you've, you've, you've asked this 100% yes. And for people who say no, I yes. am I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you. Pineapple, or I have pineapple on yes. every single pizza, every single pizza. And there's one person, yep. especially out there, who ridicules me for having it and says it's not a proper thing to have on a pizza. So, to them. I can't. I can't tell you. I can't tell you who, who that, is that is. Yeah, I can't expose them can't because expose they, they won't be liked by pineapple lovers. But yeah, so to them, I'm gonna I'm gonna send this soundbite to them so they know exactly how important it is to have pineapple on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. because uh, uh, we had this a couple weeks ago. Um, I I love pineapple. Right, I'm a very big pineapple fan. My favorite yeah. type of pizzas are Hawaiian. And Ian and Gary were getting on at me for it. And I'm so buzzing <laughs> that you agree with me because I heard you mention. The- I heard you mention the pineapples in yeah. your and I was like, hold on a minute, I could be, I could be about to pop oh, something up to you. Um, yeah. You yeah, get it, feel it, Peter. I'll need to, I'll need to, if, 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 if it's more than Bartlett Booth, I've got to do it. Um, I think that's, that's Martin's <laughs> place is my favourite ever, ever had. Oh, <laughs> um, 
Ian, Ian <laughs> Fernando's order, mate. <laughs> Uh, mine's is yeah. The, you know the butterfly chicken. Oh yeah, I like that. I like the peri chips and just a side of coleslaw nice. or rice or something like that. That's all I'm. That's all I'm after. Uh, yeah, 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 medium, yeah, yeah, medium, yeah, medium sauce though. So. Uh, medium, medium, yeah, medium. Yeah. So if we all agreed on that, I get this. The four chicken yeah. thighs, they're boneless chicken thighs, superb. Medium sauce, you get side of peri chips and garlic bread. As see when you get it, it's fresh. Straight out on a plate, you're sitting in the restaurant. You're making me hungry, boys. It's making me hungry. Yes, man, man, that is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not well, Marvin. Uh, it's been amazing. It's been a pleasure to have one. Thank you very much for coming. No on. problem. Very much appreciated, mate. Uh, you've been fantastic. No, no problem, pal. Uh, Thanks very much. You yeah, too. Have a great weekend. Uh, best luck Cheers, for the season and for your career. And yeah, thank you. Ian, thank you for coming on. No, Thanks, guys. Too. That was great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you later.